Why don't you guys stand up and let's sing this wonderful hymn together. Sing it out. Here we go. Come now, seated and uh so glad to have you can y'all hear me out there all right good deal i couldn't hear myself and uh very excited to be able to start our service off with baptism uh once again and uh, just let you know if you're visiting baptism does not save you uh, a lot of people think that if you get in these waters you're good to go for all of eternity there's a lot of uh false teaching that would uh, try to lead you astray. And uh, not only that, there are some who teach to just be a good person and you'll be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that none of us are good. We all need to be saved. And Jesus came, died on the cross for our sin, was buried and resurrected. And when we place our trust in him and him alone, that's when we experience salvation. Amen. And this morning, I'm excited because Jessica Gilstrap is coming, who gave her heart to Jesus last Sunday. I know she's got a lot of friends and family here. If you guys will stand so we can recognize y'all, go ahead and stand up. Y'all give it up for them. Appreciate you coming. <clears throat> now, uh, 
this water is, feels like the river water. We did that on purpose. And uh, is it cold? Oh, don't act like that, girl. I got to put you all the way under. It hurts. We want you to remember this day. That's right. Jessica, you gave your heart to Jesus, right? Last Sunday, very excited about that. And Jessica, based upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bear with him in baptism and raise to walk in newness of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we want to welcome you this morning to uh, Concord Baptist Church. And uh, before we have a time where we greet one another, I just kind of want to share a little bit about what's going on with our student ministry. Next week, we have Disciple Now Weekend. And the Disciple Now Weekend is just really a, a, a spiritual formation weekend where we come together in, in time of worship and Bible study. And we're excited about well, what's, what God's going to do through our hearts of the students and our adults uh, next weekend. And I want you to be a part of it. And here's how you can be a part. Back in the foyer, uh, as you exit after the service, there's a prayer wall. And on the prayer wall is the name of every student that is, is uh, signed up as of today. And uh, every name of every student, whether it's a girl or boy, the girls are, are, I think this is yellow, I'm colorblind, and the boys are blue. But it has a name on one side, and, and the name I have here is Tyler Usher and Kristen Barnes. And then on the other side, it's got four specific ways that you can pray for each of those students during the weekend. And so I encourage you, especially for all of those out here that are, that are our prayer warriors, that we know that you're just on your knees before God daily in petition for other people in our church. I encourage you during the weekend to, to go out there as you leave, grab a name of one student, two students, ten students if you want, and commit to pray for that student next weekend as we begin Disciple Now Friday night. And then join us also back Sunday morning as Algernon, that's the speaker, is going to come and bring the message. And then Benjamin Robbins and the band are going to lead worship. It's an exciting time, and we want everyone to be a part of that. So please make yourself uh, aware of that and, and come and join us next week. Also, if you're a visitor, we just want to say uh, thank you for joining us this morning in worship. We love uh, having new folks come and visit us, and we'd love to give you a gift for saying thank you and be a part of our worship experience this morning. And so if you've got a, in the bulletin in the insert, there's a little tear out. Fill that out, drop it in the offering plate, or you can give it to Levi. He'll be out in the back to welcome you and greet you as you exit this morning. But everybody, if you would, let's stand and greet one another. Give somebody a handshake. Tell them you love them. Hey, before y'all move, we'd like to, uh, Brandon, no, I was going to do this. This is his birthday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Brandon's parents are with us this morning. Would you guys say hello to the Ronies this morning down here on the front row? All right, now turn around and shake somebody's hand. Do it right now.
what we're singing this morning. We are here for you. Lift it up to the Lord. Let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts with your life. Because we are here for you. We are here for you, Lord. We are here for you. To you our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our one desire. To you alone our holy. Only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. Let us shout. Seated. 
uh, we indeed welcome the Lord Jesus here this morning, amen, and a desire for him to speak to our hearts. You know, as we partner together with other organizations as Concord, we have the awesome opportunity to see uh, the reach of the gospel go further than anything we probably could ever think or imagine. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to know that indeed we are linked together with the Southern Baptist Convention. And through that convention, we give to the North American Mission Board. Uh, one of their major uh, components is really church planting. I know they're uh, trying to build a stronger system to be more aggressive in church planting in the future. And so, man, we want to pray for them and give to them. You know, every year uh, during the Easter season, we prepare in our hearts to give an Annie Armstrong offering. Now, our church family actually has a line item in the budget, which I'm so thankful for, where we give to that particular uh, offering. But also, we'd encourage you. Maybe the Lord would put it on your heart to give more. And if that's the case, you can definitely do that. You can just put on a check, Annie Armstrong, uh, in the four column. And we'll make sure that that's where it goes. But, uh, we're going to say a word of prayer for them. So let's bow together. Father, it's a great honor to serve alongside such great men of faith. And God, thank you for Mike, how you're using him in our association and the state of Georgia. Pray that you continue to put your hand on him, bless him, and use him in the days ahead in a supernatural fashion. God, I thank you for this church family, their heart's desire to get the gospel out uh, through any means possible. And God, I pray that we would continue through our giving uh, to be faithful, be found faithful by you and accomplishing the, the very work that you put us here to accomplish, and that's to make disciples everywhere. So thank you so much, Lord, for our time together this morning and how you're going to minister to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks, Yeah. 
You guys, you can be seated. You ready to hear the word this morning? Amen. All right. I know, brother. God bless you. Hey, you brought a Bible. Say amen. And let me get you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Thank you, James. And ensemble, choir, orchestra. Good night. You guys sound great this morning. Appreciate you leading us in worship. Luke, chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through this particular gospel. And we find ourselves now in verse 20. The title is in or rather the series is entitled Astonished. And so we've been astonished at what the Lord's teaching us. Luke chapter 6, you stand with me in honor of God's word. Uh, look at verse 20. You got it there in front of you. Say yes. And uh, let's see what the Bible says. Uh, Turning his gaze toward his disciples, Jesus began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Uh, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Let's bow together. Uh, Father, it's our desire to hear from heaven this morning. So we thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst already. And we're going to trust that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to every single heart, teaching us the attitudes, the values that we should have as a New Testament church. And so, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you'd speak to every single heart uh, God, bottom line is there are some here this morning who do not have a personal relationship with you. Uh, they need to make a decision to follow you. So give them uh, grace this morning. That they would respond in faith and be radically changed for all of eternity. And God, I also pray for those who are your followers. They know you personally. But God, we're all in the process of being sanctified. So I pray you'd use your word this morning to wash us. Wash us, sanctify us, set us aside Lord, make us more like Jesus than we've ever been before as we continue to grow in our knowledge of who you are and learn together how to apply Scripture. So we give this time to you and trust you to work. In Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Well, for our study together this morning, it's important that we take just a few moments for a brief systematic theology lesson. Now, systematic theology focuses on how the entirety of Scripture is put together. 
You know, in the Old Testament, God chose and built a nation through the 12 sons of Israel. As a matter of fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel in Genesis chapter 35. So the people of Israel were divided into 12 tribes, and they became God's chosen child. God made a covenant with the people of Israel, and he promised to discipline them as his child. Now, the discipline of God upon his people Israel came both with great blessings as well as with great curses. This is noted primarily for us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. As people were obedient to God, they were greatly blessed. Listen to what Deuteronomy 28 and 2 states. Quote, all these blessings will call upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord. Those blessings included large families. Genesis 28 and 4 says, blessed shall be the offspring of your body. Those blessings include financial prosperity. Deuteronomy 28, 4 through 5 promises that their flocks would multiply, that their gardens would produce more than enough. In fact, their barns would be greatly overwhelmed with fullness. Also, the blessing of God would ensure that Israel's enemies would be defeated and even afraid of them. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 11, The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beast, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. So obedience to God would bring rain from heaven for the land. Obedience uh, to God would also ensure that the people of Israel would be lenders to the poor and not borrowers of money from others. However, if the people of God in the Old Testament were disobedient, they would be cursed. Deuteronomy 28 and 15 says, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, following this verse, it is outlined how God would make sure that Israel did not prosper. They would be unable to have children. They would be unable to produce anything from their land. Their flocks would not increase. Deuteronomy 28 and 22 says, The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew, and they will pursue you until you perish. The Lord would actually cause the heavens to be as bronze and keep the land from being watered. The enemies of the people of Israel would carry them away into captivity for their disobedience, and they would become the slaves of pagan nations. Now, as you and I study the Old Testament, we discover that the people of Israel experienced times of great blessing. This occurred, and God would be faithful to his promises, noted in Deuteronomy 28, to bless them greatly. However, we also note in the Old Testament times in which the people of Israel disobeyed God. Curses quickly followed, and people were carried into captivity and ravaged by a lack of prosperity. All of this was given to them as a sign of their great need to repent and come back to God so that they could be blessed once again. The Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi. The prophet Malachi states, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I command him in Horeb for all of Israel. Now, following the book of Malachi, there is a 400-year silence from heaven. The silence, however, is broken by the coming of Jesus Christ, the great and long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Now, during the time of Jesus' ministry, the people of Israel were not experiencing the blessings described in Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
In fact, just the opposite. They were greatly oppressed by the people of Rome and did not sense they were experiencing the blessings of God as outlined by Moses. So what was Israel really looking for? Or rather, I should say, what did Israel really desire in the Messiah? Well, they wanted a king who would free them from Rome and usher in a kingdom which would not end. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for an Israelite kingdom characterized as prosperous, blessed, and feared by other nations. However, what the prophets of the Old Testament could not see, and I need you to listen very closely this morning. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Uh, what the Old Testament prophets could not see and what the people of Jesus' day were unable to see was that God would actually make a new covenant and he would build up a new nation upon the earth. Now, this new nation would actually be the church. The Bible uses the word church. It's ecclesia. It means the company of the called out ones. This idea is noted by Paul the Apostle as a mystery. It was a mystery to all of the Old Testament prophets what was happening in the church. Now, God chose and built a nation. Please listen. God chose and built a nation in the Old Testament through the 12 tribes of Israel. God in the New Testament has chosen and continues to build a new nation called the church through the 12 apostles. You know, Peter states in 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and then here it is, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, listen, you and I, currently live in the time frame of God's history where the people of Israel have been put on the shelf while God works through the church. Now, do not think for a single moment that God has forsaken Israel. Romans chapter 11 teaches that God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel when the time of the Gentiles has come, come to completion. Now, just very quickly, if you ain't a Jew, you is a Gentile. Y'all with me say yes? Very good. Now, when the last person of the New Testament church is born again into the family of God, the church will be raptured to glory to be with the Lord Jesus Christ forevermore. At that moment on the earth, this is wild, at that moment on the earth, God will begin to regather the Israelite people. After a time of tribulation which lasts for seven years, Jesus will return to the earth bodily and he will save all of Israel from her enemies. They will be given in that moment the fulfillment of all the promises made by God recorded in the Old Testament. Now, as we study this transitional period between God's chosen nation, Israel, and God's new nation, the church, we begin to get a better understanding of the people's astonishment with the message of Jesus Christ. Now, our text this morning is known as the Beatitudes. Everybody say Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes, they serve as a brief description of the attitudes or the values of the new nation, the church. The church will be built upon Jesus and by Jesus through his death and resurrection. Those who trust Jesus by faith, believing his death and resurrection sufficiently pay for the penalty of their sins, which is death, will have the following values present in their lives. See, one commentator writes it this way, and I quote, The sermon Jesus preaches describes the kind of godly character we should possess as believers in this current world. Now, as we approach our text this morning with a better understanding of systematic theology, we also better understand why the 
people were so astonished with Jesus' teachings. Look at your Bible at verse 20 once again. By way of introduction, this is wild. The Bible says, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you. Everybody say, Blessed. Now, stop there and do not let your mind go further than the word blessed. When the Jewish people whom Jesus was speaking to heard the term blessed, they immediately thought of a long life, wealth, a large family, full barn, defeated enemies. That was the image that came to mind. It was this image that raced to the forefront of their minds when they heard the word blessed because that is how it is described in Deuteronomy chapter 28. However, Jesus was about to rock their way of thinking as he describes the blessed person, the person who is truly fortunate, the person who is truly joyful. What Jesus taught would be a completely new paradigm shift for them in their way of thinking. In fact, it would be like a culture shock in light of what they were used to hearing from the Old Testament law. So look at these verses again with me and pretend that you are a Jewish person this morning and you grew up, all right? You grew up reciting Deuteronomy chapter 28. You know all the blessings and you know all of the cursings. And then Jesus stands and begins to preach, blessed are you who are poor. Wait a minute. I thought the promised blessing of God was prosperity to Israel. Then Jesus says, blessed are the hungry. Hungry? I thought we would all have food pouring out of our barns if we were blessed. Then Jesus says, blessed are you who weep. Weeping? I thought we would uh, literally have joy. Blessed are you when men hate you. Hate us? I thought they would fear us, but really they would kind of like us all together because we would be such a great kingdom lending to them so that they could build up their own nations. Now, in our text, we learn together the characteristics of a true follower of Jesus. I want to bring it right down to where you and I are this morning and ask the very key question of this text. What is Jesus teaching you and I to live like in the culture of his kingdom? Or we could even say it like this, key question from our text, what is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ like? Or what does a genuine follower of Jesus Christ say? What is the attitude of a true follower's heart? And there are eight points to the message this morning. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Eight points. Probably take me about 10 minutes a point. So 80 minutes will be out of here. But I'm pretty fired up about how this rolls out, man. So I want you to pay very close attention, and we'll see, first of all, the attitude of our heart as believers is that we would say from our heart, I need God. I need God. Look in your Bible at verse 20. It says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, in Matthew's gospel, we read this verse which sheds a, a bit more insight into what Jesus is teaching. Matthew records Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the word poor speaks of one who has little. It describes someone who experiences a continuous state of destitution. As Matthew records, it speaks directly of being poor in spirit. Now, the spirit speaks of our inner state of being. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who live with a continual state of inner destitution. It reflects the attitude of an individual who understands fully their great need for God. So as a believer, there is no illusion of self-reliance or self-sufficiency. 
It is the opposite of a prideful disposition which does not recognize a need for God. Those of us who know Jesus Christ personally understand that we need God every single day of our lives. Now, this attitude is reflected by the psalmist in Psalm 42 where he writes, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, over in our neighborhood in Lula, there's a pond of water across the street. I've seen on some occasions a pack of deer crossing the street, making their way to the water source. I get a little nervous for them because we're in Lula. They might get blown up. Are y'all listening? Somebody will shoot your face off there. But anyway, so um, I pray for those little deer. Bambi. But they go there to that water because of their great thirst. And the psalmist is saying in the same manner, as much as a deer needs water and desires water, that is how much I need and desire God. And the true disciple of Jesus Christ has a deep inner longing and attitude that continues to say, I desperately need God. Jesus says, blessed is the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They had given up their professions. And in a real sense, their attitude of poverty was also their state of poverty. Why did they do it? Because they knew inwardly their desperate need for God. Commentator Matthew Henry writes, and I quote, All the comforts and graces of Jesus' kingdom here and all the glories and joys of Jesus' kingdom hereafter are yours in Christ. See, those who choose to follow Jesus Christ understand their deep need for God. Now look at me for just a moment, eyeball to eyeball. You may be here this morning and you have yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, you will never come to faith in Jesus Christ until you first recognize your need for God. God has created you to know him. Sin separates you. You hold on to sin. Based upon the scripture, you will die in your sin and receive the punishment of sin, which is eternal death in hell. And somebody says, well, good night. You mean God is doing that? Yes. That is why you need him. God graciously has provided a way for all of your sin, past, present, and future, to be completely forgiven. God came in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, went to a cross. The Father treated the Son as if he committed all of your sin and all of my sin. Jesus died on the cross in our place. He is our substitute. He was buried and resurrected. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. Listen, you will never come to faith in the Lord until you first realize your desperate need of him. And when you realize your need for him, then in humility, you bow a knee and claim him king of your life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there may be some in here, and I don't mean to pry, but I'm going to. There may be some people in here and you're listening and you've heard the gospel and maybe you've been in church all your life. You were confirmed when you were small. You were sprinkled when you were small. You were baptized when you were a teenager. You went on a mission trip. Listen, none of that stuff saves you from your sin. There is no water sufficient enough to wash away one single sin in your life. 
But what pride will do is it will sit out there in a seat and it will say, no, 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 I've done all of these things. I don't need God. But I am praying by Jesus Christ's grace that he would reach down and break your prideful heart and show you your desperate need. You cannot save yourself. You are not a good person. You are a sinner just like I am a sinner. But God graciously will reach out, pick you up, wash you in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then, and only then, can you be radically changed for eternity. Some people just flat out here this morning need God. But I want to go a step further. Those of you who are believers of Jesus Christ, that is, you have come to a personal relationship with him, you need God just as much now as you did the day you got saved. But what so often happens is that we pray for God's salvation and we experience that and we come into a relationship with him and we remember, man, how desperately we needed God's forgiveness. But then somewhere along the line, we begin to walk and no longer pay attention to God. Listen, the attitude of those who are walking in the light of the gospel is that they continuously, always, desperately need Jesus. You don't need to go to church more. You need Christ. Christ is who saves you. Christ is who sanctifies you. Christ is the one who radically, continually makes you look more and more like him in both your attitude and your actions. So if you aren't thinking more like him and acting more like him, listen, you are not following hard after him. But once you begin to get in line, and follow Jesus, you begin to continually experience a radical transformation in your heart, even as a believer. So this morning, what should be our attitude as followers of Christ? We should say, I need God. There's a second reality. Not only do we say, I need God, but also we say, I surrender to God. Look in verse 21 of your Bible. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Matthew chapter 5 records the statement further, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the righteousness of God in Christ must be our continued pursuit. The word righteousness speaks of right living under the rule of Jesus. Jesus encourages us in Matthew's gospel, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. As a follower of Jesus, we have this innate attitude that desires to surrender more and more of our lives to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Let me please restate that particular sentence. I've got three stars by it in my notes, so it means listen, listen, listen. As a follower of Jesus, we got any followers of Jesus up in here? Okay, so as a follower of Jesus, we have this innate attitude that desires to surrender more and more of our lives to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That is our desire. Listen, a true Christian is never satisfied with mediocre Christianity. A true follower of Christ is always looking for other areas in their life, in their thinking, in their way of living that they can surrender over to the Lord Jesus. Only when we offer our bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice are we truly satisfied. Listen, some of you are followers of Jesus, but you're in here this morning like, I've got no satisfaction in life. That is because you are surrendering a part of your life, not to Christ, but to sin. 
And there is no satisfaction there. Sin is calling the shots in your life, telling you what to do, telling you what to think. Stop bowing to sin, man. Surrender to Christ. That's where the satisfaction comes, and it never, ever stops flowing. I'm going to preach whether y'all want me to or not. Giving our bodies to this current world system never satisfies the true convert. Hey, listen, if you're here this morning and you say, I am a Christian, but you're living in sin and it does not bother you based upon the authority of the Word of God, you are not a true believer. Those who truly know Christ are bothered when their bodies are being offered to the world system and not to Christ. That which the world system has to offer with its allurements, its lust, its physical attractions only leave the true convert discontent and empty. However, the disciple of Jesus longs to subject his mind, his body, his soul to the leadership and kingship of Jesus. It's what we desire. In this activity, there is found great contentment for the disciple. Thus, as a follower of Jesus, we constantly are praying and pursuing other areas of our life which need to be bending the knee in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, some of you are in the house this morning, and you're struggling with the same sin you were struggling with last week. Some of you are struggling with the same sin you were struggling with last year, five years ago, ten years ago, and you come and you're like, man, there's no contentment. There's no settled reality in my heart. Listen, the reason it is not there is because you're bowing to that sin. So what is the word from the preacher this morning? Stop it. Repent. Come to Christ. Confess your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and 9, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And when you humble yourself and finally say, you know what, this sin is whipping my rear end. And in humility, you say, I need you, God, to help me. And as soon as you begin to pray that way, you then go right into a moment of surrender. And you desire to surrender that area over to Christ. Say, well, I don't have that desire because you hadn't realized your need for God. When you realize the need for God, the desire comes to surrender. They go hand in hand, man. I didn't say that in the first service. That was good. <laughs> There's a third statement. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Whenever we surrender to God, the next statement is, I hate sin. I hate sin. Verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Matthew's gospel says, blessed are you who mourn now, for you shall be comforted. The idea here of weeping and mourning speaks of our inner attitude towards sin, both in our lives and in our world system. The disciple of Jesus Christ finds no joy, no joy in indulging in the flesh in the act of sin. Engaging in the world's way of thinking and living for the true convert brings no lasting happiness. The attitude of the true Christian views sin as something heinous. Sin is an unwelcome, violent intruder attacking our souls. The follower of Jesus Christ hates sin with a great passion. There's no desire to remain engaged in sinful activity. Like leprosy is to the flesh, sickening and despised. So the presence of sin in a disciple's life is sickening and despised. The Christian views sin as a false god, seeking to hold the role of Jesus in our lives. 
And with great passion, the false god of sin seeks to edge the influence of Jesus Christ's rule in our hearts out. The activity of sin in our lives draws out the Christian a revolting hatred that cannot be simmered. There remains an inner weeping in our hearts until the sin is removed. Likewise, the effect of sin upon our culture set in motion a spiritual gag reflex. We cannot stand the way sin ravages the homes of those in our neighborhoods. We are filled with mourning over the way sin assaults our school systems and our community. Our weeping over the continual outbreak of sin's work upon our culture drives us to inner tears. However, there's a promise in this text that for the true follower of Jesus Christ, this mourning will be replaced with laughing. Indeed, we shall be comforted by the love of Christ which covers our sins. And as a believer in Christ, we confess our sins. Jesus is quick to comfort our wailing hearts. See, some of you came to church this morning weeping, but I'm here to tell you, you can go away laughing. Just come before Jesus and say, I'm surrendering this sin over to you. You'll find joy unspeakable and full of glory. And as a believer in Christ, we know that soon... Sin will have its last bite. Christ will be uh, subjecting all things under his dominion upon the earth. Where there's mourning now, where there's weeping now over the effects of sin, soon we shall all laugh at sin's destruction. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what is wild here is as I read this text of Scripture, and I get convicted, to say the least, because there is a lack of hatred for sin in my own heart. There's a lack of hatred for sin in the context of the New Testament church. It's like, it's no big deal anymore. We've got to get back to saying, I need God. I surrender to God. And then as soon as we surrender, guess what? God puts a hatred for sin in our life. Can't stand it. Then there's a fourth statement. I stay faithful to God. That's what the true disciple says. I stay faithful to God. Verse 22 and 23, look at your Bible. Blessed are you when men hate you, ostracize you, insult you, scorn your name as evil. For the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. What does your Bible say? Does it say leap? Leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets, genuine disciples of Christ, will not be called a blessing in our current world system. Y'all out there? Genuine followers of Jesus Christ will not be considered a blessing in our current world system. Any stance for biblical truth and morality in our culture will be met with venomous hatred. Jesus says, follow me, you're going to be hated. A person's hatred of God will be deflected toward anyone who reminds them of God's character. Hostility will take its toll upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Watch the news anytime an individual stands on biblical moral character, they are immediately, vehemently opposed and hated by the secular culture. Hated. Jesus says you're going to be ostracized. The society of the kingdom of darkness will not desire company with you. You'll be pushed out. You'll be uninvited. You will not be attractive to those who have no heart for God. 
And then he says, you're going to be insulted. You'll be reviled and scolded as a follower of Christ. People will bring up false charges against you. They'll hurl the lowest comments to you. Paul the Apostle states that we are like dregs of society. That is, we are more, uh, nothing more rather, to this world than scraps from a dinner plate that need to be thrown in the garbage. That's how the world system looks at you and I who are Christ followers. They are trash, man. Jesus says you're going to be scorned. He says they'll scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Society will express open contempt for your life. They will openly slander you and even call you a wicked and evil person. Isn't that amazing? By the way, they did the same thing to Jesus. They said he must be um, possessed by the devil. Through it all, however... No matter how hated you are, no matter how ostracized you are, no matter how insulted you are, no matter how scorned you are, the true disciple of Jesus Christ says, I will stay faithful to God. In the midst of dark persecution for the name of Christ, Jesus says, be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. That is, please, this is awesome. Allow the disdain and hatred of society for your faith in Jesus Christ. Remind you that this place is not your home. You are passing through. You are headed somewhere much greater. The Bible says rejoice. The Bible says whenever you're ragged, jump. Leap for joy. Your reward in heaven is great. You know what that means? That means as a student here this morning, you're living for Jesus Christ in your public school system or in your uh, school system. Listen, as you walk the road with Christ, people are going to rag you left and right. They're going to punk you out, call you names, put you down, insult you, push you away. What should be your response? Leap. Leap. Yeah, can you imagine that? You get ragged at school in the hallway, and all of a sudden you're just like, what's up with that? Well, why, why are you leaping? You leap for joy because every single time you are ragged in the school system, you are banking up greater reward in eternity with Almighty God in heaven. That's why you, you're ragged at work because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you are on the verge of just kind of shelling away and hiding your lights. Don't do that, man. Shine. Let them rag on you. And you just keep jumping for joy because God never oversees. Listen, he never does not see the insult that you are taking. And every single time you get it, he just adds up more reward for you so that whenever you cross over into glory, bro, listen, God's going to throw some stuff at you you never thought was coming. I, I love this text, how it all folds out too. I need God. When I genuinely need him, I understand I want to surrender more of myself over to him. As I surrender more of myself over to him, man, I begin to hate sin. And as I hate sin, it's amazing how I have this desire to remain faithful to him no matter what others say. Now, there's four more statements. I'm going to give these to you quick. Are you all ready to say yes? Here it is. I do not experience the kingdom of heaven in material things. Verse 24, the Bible says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. The word row speaks the word row. How about the word woe? It speaks of disaster and horror. Those of you who are seeking your own personal kingdom by building up your wealth and prestige, disaster is on its way. 
If that is your whole focus in life, how much money can I get? How big can my house be? How many cars can I have? If that's your focus in life and it is not God, listen, disaster's on its way, bro. Everything you cling and hold on to so tightly now will be burned up in the end. The believer finds greater joy in the blesser than the blessing. So I don't experience the kingdom of heaven in material things, and also I do not find contentment in stuff. Verse 25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Our soul is not so shallow as to think an abundance of stuff would ever satisfy. The world's way of living, they live with the thought, if I only had a better job, if I only had more money, if I only had this dress, that suit, if I only had a nicer home, a nicer car, if I only had this relationship, if I only had that wife or that husband... Listen, they are always craving for stuff. The craving that finds itself in the soul of every man has been placed there by God. And you cannot find it in anything other than Jesus Christ. The craving will never be filled till you come to Christ. And that's wild, isn't it? Because the craving that God has placed in you, according to the Bible and Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in the heart of man. So the little hole there, the little uh, gaping reality of your life, that's not even temporary. It is eternal. God put it there on purpose. So guess what? Your money's not going to fill that hole up, bro. All those ladies you're trying to run around with ain't going to fill that hole up. Those are all temporary things. The only thing that can fill up an eternal void is an eternal God. Here's another one. I like this. Uh, I do not find laughter in sin. Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The world system magnifies a false happiness that is found in sinful desires of the flesh. They laugh at the thought of pornography, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, cussing, loose living, you name it. It's a trip. Uh, the idea of society literally considers this kind of life to be where it's at. However, listen closely, behind the shallow laugh is a broken and desperate heart that without Christ will one day find themselves mourning and weeping. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Eyeball to eyeball. Some of you are in the house this morning, and you are trying your hardest to live apart from God. And you laugh at what you did last night. Funny, ain't it? But you know if you got gut level honest behind that little laughter, you got a massive problem. True believers don't laugh at sin. They run to Christ. Let me give you the last little deal here. I do not find pleasure in popularity. Verse 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. That's wild, isn't it? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's encouraging to this uh, preacher, because some people like to talk junk about the preacher. But I'm just like, good. I'm glad everybody ain't speaking well of me. <laughs> Are y'all out there? 
Our society subjects our minds to think that if we are well-known and well-respected by others, then we are experiencing true life. We are losers without applause. We are loners without a multitude of fans. This is how the false prophets were of the Old Testament. They would say, whatever others desired to hear, so long as they received adoration and applause from the crowds. So the Old Testament prophets said, they were like, what do you want to hear? I'll tell you, long as you clap for me and put money in my pocket. So in the Old Testament, guess what they're doing now? You find plenty of false teachers. They say whatever you want them to hear. Whatever you desire, man. Tickle your ear, bro. Can I uh, finish the message? I was asking, can I finish the message? All right, this is wild. All right, I want you to see this. I put it in your notes this way. Let me, let me borrow your notes right quick. So I want you to see this. You didn't fill out the blanks, brother. But anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> Brandon Rowan. Oh, he's got it in his folder. God bless you, my son. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> your parents are here too. Yeah. But anyway, if you looked right there, the first four, I need God. I surrender uh, to him. hate sin. I stay faithful to God. Notice the inverse of all those statements. I do not, and I love this, I do not uh, find joy in the kingdom uh, of stuff, material things. Why? Because I need God. I surrender to the Lord. I don't find joy in stuff. Listen to number three. I hate sin. I don't find joy and laughter in sin. I stay faithful to God. I'm not trying to please men. See how those fall out? It's crazy what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Now look at me just a moment. I want you to check this out and listen closely. Let's be honest with each other. Just for a second, me and you sitting down, drinking a little cup of coffee. Is yours good? Your coffee good? All right, look at me. I want to ask you, if you died right now, where would you spend eternity? Listen, where would you spend eternity? You're like, you know what? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. The devil does too, man. It's much more than you just intellectually saying you believe something. All right? This morning, I want to challenge you in Christ. I mean, I'm not being ugly. I'm trying to be nice as I possibly can. I'm trying to rescue you, man. I want to encourage you to turn from your sin this morning and place your trust in Jesus Christ and allow him to forgive you of all your sin, give you a brand new life. He can do that this morning. That's what he did. He did it last week. Jessica Gilstrap was sitting in a second hour service, realized she was a sinner right there in the seat. She prayed to receive Jesus. We baptized her this morning. Uh, another guy during the uh, closing of last Sunday morning, met him out here in the foyer, uh, didn't know Christ, shared the gospel with him, he prayed to receive Jesus in the foyer. Listen, 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 listen. Some of y'all are up in the house and you don't know Jesus. Don't leave here rejecting him, continuing with a hard heart. I'm just telling you, you need to be saved this morning. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts in Jesus' name.